I need to ask a favour before I speak. Um, I'd actually like, I, I want to this morning uh, have Steve Hawkins in here. He doesn't know this uh, apart from, he's on crash. I wanted to ask whether somebody would uh, uh, full go. Oh, would you, Mac? Is that okay? Thank you. And send Steve in. Uh, can you make him sit on the front row as well? Uh, Phil Harmon, uh, you too on the front row. Thank you very much. <coughs> there you go. Okay. Okay, if you've got a Bible, could you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 to 4. The old guy that is on the, uh, the left is what happens uh, when you uh, turn between sort of mid-twenties uh, a little bit after you've led your first church. This is sort of... What, what happens to you and that sort of stuff. But we're going to be looking at, at shepherding uh, the flock. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. Uh, is that right, Steve? Can you sit there, please, Steve Hawkins? Well, Rupert can move, just do as you're told. Thank you very much. And what I'm going to do is just come over here like this, if that's okay. Thank you. Can you not kiss? You can sit a little bit. All right, okay. So 1 Peter 5, chapters 1 to 4. Uh, so I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, uh, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock that is amongst you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God uh, would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering uh, over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading uh, crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, Rupert, be subject to the elders. <laughs> Clothe yourself, Tim, in all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, on Thursday, uh, the 19th of May, uh, we will pray and recognise Steve and Phil as elders of Gateway Church, Wrexham. Uh, before the foundation of the world... God set a preaching plan together that would, would end up with Nigel preaching on this verse before the eldership was even set and thought about. I, I find that very scary. I find it very uh, encouraging. So this is for you, uh, Phil and Steve, uh, so that you will know from the Bible what you are letting yourself in for so that Callie and I can go on holiday. <laughs> so this is for you. So uh, let's, let's start then. How to shepherd a suffering church. Uh, this passage is about how to shepherd a suffering church. You will recall uh, what the previous paragraph was about. It started in chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes uh, upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So, guys, you are signing up for a fiery trial and a test. And I'm, I don't want to make light of those sort of things. I want you to know before we get to this date so that you can run. That actually, this is what you are signing up for. You are signing up to lead in the context of a fiery trial and for you personally to be tested. This is it. This is how it's explained. Then in verse 17, uh, the suffering is explained as the beginning of the judgment of God, uh, which starts in the church and moves out into an unbelieving world. Here it is in verse 17. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will it be? What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So the context of our leading goes on. And it tells us that we'll be leading uh, in the judgment of God. It tells us 
that we'll be leading in the context of disobedience to the gospel of God. This is why you need to know that God has called you to do this. Because of these two things. Please understand that when you lead, there is a resistance to the word of God. That's not just, that is not just the world... That is, there is a resistance to the, world of, the word of God. As I'm preaching this morning, although that they won't like to hear this, there, is, there will be a resistance to the word of God. But at least you know. At least you know. Then Peter begins with our text that we've got today, starting in 1 Peter 5, verse 1. It says, uh, So I exhort the elders amongst you. So or therefore, as you probably uh, have got in your Bible, in the light of this suffering, in the light of this judgment, in the light of the purifying of the church, in the light of unbelief, in all of those things, I urge you, I press you, I encourage you to shepherd the flock. So here's this Peter saying, look, with all this that that is going on, I, I want you to do this. This is the word of the Lord. This is the, I want you to do this. I want you to be active in, in being a shepherd. There, there are three observations before we move on. And uh, the first observation is, is just quite simple, really. The church had elders. First, the church, uh, if you see, if you remember, uh, Steve started us off uh, with this passage uh, in chapter 1 and verse 1 when we, when we first started our preaching series on 1 Peter we realise that the, he, he's told us that the, the, uh, the letter was to the churches in Pontus, to Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. This was a huge diverse area, uh, probably included dozens and dozens of, of churches. And Peter, uh, without hesitation or qualification, addresses these elders. So you obviously see that he, he feels that he has got apostolic oversight over these guys. He's saying, so I exhort you, I exhort you. And we learn that uh, uh, just quite simply, that elders are the normal way of church leadership in the New Testament time. So we are doing something, because, not because it's great for the church, but because it's in the Bible. We, we want to be people that are obedient to the Bible. But we also, as elders, we are open to exactly the same wisdom that these elders were open to. So we, you have not arrived on May the 19th. In fact, it will probably be tougher from May the 19th. But what we need to be is people that are open to, to people like Peter who will bring us apostolic uh, uh, oversight so you've not arrived and neither have I but we need to be open we need to be receiving we need to be learning people that's the, the way that Peter's sort of saying Look, learn from me learn from me it's not just learn from the word of God it's learn from me and, and that has got to be the bottom line of you as elders that as elders you are learning from other things you're not just telling you, you are learning but it goes on and it tells us these elders were shepherds. Uh, that is, if you like, uh, they were pastors. Uh, the noun pastor or shepherd only occurs once in the New Testament in reference to leaders of the church. That's in Ephesians 4.11. But the verb to shepherd occurs over and over again. It occurs here in verse 2. Jesus uses it to Peter where he says, uh, shepherd my sheep. In John 21, Paul uses it to the Ephesians elders where he says, shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So elders were shepherds of the flock. They pastor the flock and we are to shepherd and pastor the whole flock. It is the whole flock that you have been called to, not just a few, but to the whole of them. And the idea of a shepherd was exactly as this guy here. The reason I tried to find that picture and tried to find it in our culture was that you might know what a shepherd looks like. And the shepherd leads the sheep. And that is what you've been called to. You've been called to lead these people, 
to lead them. The primary role of the shepherd is always leadership. It is to lead them. You see that in, in uh, Psalm 23, he, he leads me too. You are called to lead these people to a different place. That's what, you, what you're aiming uh, to do. So not, I don't want you to just think in regard to a, a sort of pastoral thing. Pastoral is a bit of a misnomer, actually. It means taking these people, this flock, from where they are to a better place. And you lead them to it. We're going to come back to that one uh, later on and uh, just upset you. But there you go. Elder shepherds are charged with oversight. Verse 2 says, uh, Peter says to the elders, shepherd the flock that is amongst you, exercising oversight. Oversight is not only the call of shepherding, but it is the one that Peter mentions here in the context of, of suffering. So when, when it's difficult, actually ov- your oversight should be more. That's the, that's the sort of inference that's here. It's made up of two Greek words, which is exactly the same uh, in the English, over and sight. So elder shepherds are to exercise oversight. They are to oversee the whole thing. To see over is the word. That is always the context. You must not get pulled into see small. You must always, as elders, be elders over the whole thing. You will be pulled to see and spend a huge amount of time on minutia. But your call is to exercise oversight. Now, hear this. If you don't exercise oversight, you do not help the suffering church. That's what happens. The suffering church struggles. It is overseeing. So what God has called you is to see the big picture. That's what God has called. It is always the big picture. Acting for the good of the whole flock. In one sense, the elder shepherds are just like the sheep, though, in, uh, and like every other Christian, because uh, the one thing that is important and should be important to you is that Jesus is your chief shepherd. You're about him. You're about, you're about him. You're about, that's what you're, you've only got one answer to everything. It's Jesus. We've laughed at that as meetings. The, the only adva- pastoral advice that you have to give is Jesus. That is it. It doesn't matter what they come and say to you, the answer always is Jesus. It is the chief shepherd. He's got to be your chief shepherd, their chief shepherd. There is no other answer. You can flower it and want to and put you know, nine weeks of counselling or send them on this course and that course, but the answer to every situation is always the chief shepherd. It always is. So just learn that, really. If anybody comes to you, the answer is Jesus. That will save us a lot of time. But by virtue of your calling and your gifts and the affirmation of apostolic input and the affirmation of the church, you now have a responsibility that will be different from the rest of the sheep. And responsibility is the key word. Because what we mean by responsibility is accountability. The chief shepherd will hold you and me responsible for how we shepherd. These other guys will not be facing God on that issue. They will not be doing it. Only the elders, only the shepherds are called into account. So you will be called into account. Did you see the big picture? Did you act accordingly? Did you exercise oversight? Guys, hear this from me to you with love. You cannot blame your sheep. You can only blame yourself. I'm just releasing you guys. It's not your (coughs) fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. The reason that you are not is me. And the reason that these guys are not in just a few weeks' time will be you. So you can't, and the reason is you can't go to God and say, that Alary Morgan nasty piece of work was she glad she bogged off to Brighton because when you get to when you get to heaven 
It will, it will not be Aleri's sin. It will be how you dealt with Aleri that you will be done. So, so as far as I can tell, all of these things were universal in the early church. They didn't vary very much. Uh, it's not unique to a suffering congregation. We could apply these things elsewhere. But actually, I think the slant that now comes beyond those texts uh, do help us to see what we do uh, in, in regard to a suffering church. So there are uh, three ways in which elders are to shepherd. And it's interesting in the way that they are portrayed. You find them uh, in, in both uh, as negative and positive uh, and uh, so in verse 2 it says exercise your oversight negative not under compulsion positive but willingly as God would have you verse 2 exercise your uh, your oversight not for shameful gain or sordid gain that'd be fun but e- eagerly that's the positive verse 3 uh, exercise your oversight not dominate <coughs> do- domineering over those in your charge which is a control thing not not controlling over your charge but here it is positive but being examples to the flock so let's fill those in uh, a little bit not under compulsion but willingly why does Peter begin by telling the elders to exercise their oversight not under compulsion but willingly what kind of situation might result in having elders who don't want to be elders it seems that the situ- it seems that seems to be the situation. There, there is a threat that the elders in these churches are not really wanting to do the work of eldership. They are feeling forced to do it. They are f- uh, and when they would rather be doing something else. Why is that? And my suggestion here is quite simple, really. It probably is more complex than this, but we'll I just go for the simple thing. My suggestion here is that the suffering church that we have here accounts for the the situation. It's really very simple. Elder shepherds have less desire to be elder shepherds if it's dangerous and difficult. Why do I do this job is the answer. There are reasons uh, for that but let uh, let me just say this to you honestly there will be times when you will ask yourself this question. There will be times when your wives will tell you that the best thing that you can do is get out of this job. Now, I'm just being honest with you because that is what happens. There will be just things when you just think, I would rather be a pew filler somewhere else than do this. One of the reasons that I say that is that I believe as leaders that, that we are particularly vulnerable to persecution because we will lead. And, and that is true. The leaders of the flock are the most visible and sometimes the most vulnerable in regard to the church. They're the ones with the head over the parapet, as it were. They're the one that the ball hits, the stone hits, the rock hits. Uh, if you are a shepherd for the suffering cl- flock, you will be the one that Satan makes a go for. You will be the one who is first to fall because if you can take the shepherd, it is that the sheep will scatter. That's the truth. That's in the Bible. Now, where am I going to get this from? Well, you can look at that in many uh, church leaders in history. You can look at the consequences of that where, where, the, where, where, they've, where the shepherd has been struck and what has happened. But just to encourage you, I thought that I would take it from the Bible. And I'll just look at three guys uh, who were potentially going to be uh, excellent leaders in regard to the New Testament church. Stephen was shaping up to be an outstanding leader. James was leading a significant church in Jerusalem. And Peter's influence was spreading worldwide. That was the situation. Now, just to encourage you, Stephen was killed in Acts 7. James was killed in Acts 12. And and Peter only escaped the sword of Herod (coughs) by a miracle. There will be in your lives both private and public hits. Now, I can say that some of the public ones, these folks will stand with you. Hopefully, they will. If they don't... um, they're not your flock because they're sheep 
hear your voice and they follow you. They should. So if you're getting public hits, these should be coming round you. But there will be private hits. So there will be things that happen that only you know and you know that you cannot say in front of the people. But you have to know that this is the context that, that you lead in. You lead in the fact that you are vulnerable to being put upon by all sorts and all sorts of things. So do you, do you hear me when I'm saying that? So you don't you need to give me a ring and sort of just sort of say, oh no, because it is part, it's part of the... While you are elders, you are going to receive public and private stuff. It will be the case. It will be the case. It is dangerous to be the shepherd of the church. It's not fun. It's dangerous. And people, we need to hear this. These churches were going through fiery ordeals. They're not just going through an ordeal... They're going through a fiery ordeal. It's, it's understandable that the elder shepherd might think, I can do this, I don't need to do this. It's understandable. The fiery trial must not be the reason for you to go. It must be the reason for you to shepherd. You know, sometimes we say this, don't we? And it, we say it jokingly, or I'm under a little bit of t attack, I must be doing something right. Now I know that we say that in joke form sometimes, but it is, it is often the case. When there's a fiery trial, then we need to put aside our preference and stand as shepherds of the flock. If you can't stand, then don't do it. Then do not do it. I believe also that you are particularly vulnerable to God's judgment. Now, I have to admit that I don't understand this. If you look at 1 Peter 14, verse 7, <coughs> it says that God's judgment had begun with the house of God. There's a scary reference back to Ezekiel 9 here in the elders uh, uh, of it, that are quoted in Ezekiel 9. But it seems that we, we are put under before God more expectation than these guys. Wow. Uh, and so uh, the passage from the, that Peter is quoting from Ezekiel chapter 9, this is it. It says, And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on all the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed to it. Now that would be fun, wouldn't it? All right, put that on your head. That would be all right. And then to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike your eye and, and I shall not spare. And you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens and little children and women. But do not touch the one in whom uh, is the mark. And it begins at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. That's Peter's reference back. So they began with the elders who were before the house. In other words, it has been God's way to bring judgment on his own people, beginning with the house of God, and the house of God beginning with the elder shepherds. I have to say, I don't understand this fully. I think some of this is a mystery in regard to it. I think there will probably be a, a, a few people that will try and say, I understand this. Let me just say this, I've looked at in, in dozens of commentaries and all are of the opinion that they don't understand this at all. And some great men. I'm sure there is a little flimsy paperback somewhere that somebody's written that will answer this. But they are, they are not true because there have been some magnificent theologians that, do, that find this, this passage a mystery. How on earth does the judgment of God start with elders? Let me just try and put a very simple understanding. I have to say that although I don't understand it, I believe that we must therefore treat eldership with seriousness and soberness. And that's why l the Bible tells us not to lay hands on people quickly. That it is a serious issue and, and a sober issue. And that's made everybody go quiet at the other end. Uh, the test of a, a true elder shepherd, we've, 
We've said that danger, difficulty and responsibility are the tests of a true elder shepherd. In John 10, we see this a little bit more personal and with a bit more relevance. John chapter 10, verse 12. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. The, the presence of danger, the presence of difficulty, the wolf will always be there. We, uh, we tend to separate the hirelings from the shepherd, but also the fact that he is a hireling, a hired hand, means that he could be motivated by other things. And that the sheep are secondary to the hired hand. He warns us very clearly not to recognise those that are in, in this for an ego boost. What are you in this for? You are in this for one reason only, and this is that you care for sheep. You love sheep. You don't want them to be where they are right now. You want them to be in a much better place. I love sheep. It's interesting because you and I have talked about this just privately and I can just put this out because we have talked about leaders who want to have a fail safe and their fail safe can be well you know I I can do this but I've got my job and and this sort of stuff and we've we've looked at that and we've talked about that together haven't we and we've 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 thought about instances where where elders say well actually I can lead this church but if all fails I can still go back here because I still have my job this is the hireling this is the hireling no you you are giving it all up for these sheep it's all it actually is all or nothing it's all or don't bother don't be a hireling, be a shepherd. Secondly, I won't go on for so long about this one, uh, not, not for sordid gain, but eagerly. Verse 2, exercise your, own, your oversight, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Shameful gain or sordid gain, meaning make the ministry your personal gain. It means being motivated by what you can get out of it. It means thinking constantly about, well, you know, your holiday, your day off, your benefits, or even your greater ministry, your greater and wider ministry, instead of thinking of the value of the sheep that God has given you, or the preciousness of truth, or the power of the Holy Spirit, or in this case, the coming of the Good Shepherd. But I think that is true, you know, uh, this isn't a launch pad to something else. Hear that? I recently had to deal with an issue, well not so recently of that, where, where actually somebody did say, this is my launch pad to something else. These people are not your launch pad to another ministry, not your launch pad to greater success in New Frontiers. Hear me, please, I know that New Frontiers guys, you'll hear this, I am not interested in success in New, you know that, I'm not interested in New Frontiers promotion. I'm interested actually in these guys and seeing this church grow in Wrexham. I'm not interested in being on a platform saying that I, I've planted 17 churches in North Wales. You know, do not be interested in those sorts of things. Be interested in this. I, and you know, you laugh at me sometimes because you, we have this conversation and you say, I don't understand why, Nigel, that you hate conferences. I'm a, I'm a perpetual hater of conferences. I've got to go to prayer and fasting next. To me, it is a burden. Do you know why I hate conferences, really? Because I love worshipping with these people. I love these people. Would I ra- rather preach in Whitchurch? Or would I rather preach in Telford, as I am next week? Do you know, sometimes I would rather pre- I w- I'd rather preach it. I'd rather be doing this that I'm doing right now than anything else in the face of this world because I want to be amongst my people, my sheep. Don't, don't use this as a thing. But on the other hand, it tells us that we should be uh, eager. Eager in what? Eager in shepherding. It's the same word as eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Steve, Phil... <coughs> The Lord has been, you've been privileged by the Lord to be given just a little flock, just a little one. 
It's just what God has given you. I don't know why God didn't give you a big flock, and I don't know why he didn't give me a big flock. But he asked me to just care for the flock that I have. And he tells me that I must do this eagerly, keenly, enthusiastically, excitedly, willingly, fervently, and zealously. This is how I'm to do it. Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. This is how precious these folk are. They were obtained with Jesus' blood. Wow. Pay careful attention first to your own walk with God. If your own walk with God is not good, you will be found out. It's just simple that. The key to leadership is not great preaching, it is not magnificent leadership, it's not high technology, it's not whether you can Twitter every 10 minutes or put something on Facebook. The key thing is the strength of your own relationship with God. Care for yourselves. Care for yourselves. Care for yourselves spiritually, care for yourselves physically, care for, your, care for yourselves. It doesn't say in here, but also care for your wives. You are first and foremost husbands. Your primary flock is your wife. Your secondary flock are your children. These come down the scale. If you, those are your prime things. Care for yourself, care for your wife, care for your children. Then you've got, whatever time you've got left after that, shepherd the flock. That's what you've been given. Pay careful attention to the flock. Careful, tend them. Jesus said this. He said, feed my sheep. Feed them. Feed them with my words. Feed them with my words. So I want to just encourage you to, when you preach, and I'm guessing that you'll preach a little bit more uh, as time goes on, do not shirk from being in the word of God. I think it's the best advice that, that was ever given me, and I still try and do it today. I still try and set aside a day where I pray and study. I know that you are both working guys and that sort of stuff, but wrestle with the Word of God. Wrestle with it. Deliver. That's feed my sheep. Work hard in it. Don't give a ditty. Deliver, feed the sheep. Don't do that. Not lording it over, but proving to be examples. Verse 3, uh, not domineering those over your charge, but being examples of the flock. Domineering has two sides to it, uh, what, um, which we'll come to, because you can domineer in different ways. It can be lording over. It can imply that the, uh, the elder shepherd, as it were, is driven by the love of power. You know, that sort of stuff. You just like the idea of being the guy that he's photographed on the, you know, that sort of stuff. You get an ego trip from, you know, your authority, your prestige and your dominance. He needs to be up front. Jesus said he likes the best seats in the synagogue. Don't like the best seats in the synagogue. I absolutely hate that where people do that uh, to me. Don't like it uh, at all. But he also may be uh, domineering, which means that you can manipulate to get what you want. There are two ways of manipulating this. You can manipulate people you can by domineering them to make sure that you get them. Or actually you can feign that you are, you know, just, you know, that you just sort of this weak so-and-so really. You can manipulate from both sides. But do, not ha- do not be open to a Jezebelic controlling spirit. Because a Jezebelic controlling spirit means that you, you control people by any way that you can. Don't do that. Don't go anywhere near that because that affects the, the flock of God. And I don't really want to be doing some deliverance in my front room either. I'd like to protect, But don't do that. You can do that. I, I, I've known two sorts. I've known a church that has been 
domineering by, by somebody that just really does domineering in Sussex. I've also known people lead by playing what I call the weak and wounded hero, where he gets everybody, must support. In fact, I was in a church situation once where somebody came to me and said, I, I, would, you know, I just need you to support me. If, if you need me to support you, don't be doing this. <laughs> you can manipulate people into a... You can domineer over them, or you can play the... Don't do that to enhance your office. Peter says that the best way that you can do that is be an example uh, to the flock. So is their public oversight a show, or are they a shepherd? What about their family? What about their finances, their hospitality, their discernment? I want to suggest this to you. What does it mean by being? Uh, uh, what does it mean by being an example of the flock? I think they are first, guys. They they are first, and they are first of all servants. Don't ask these guys to do anything that you would not be prepared to do. I don't, when I'm a servant, and I know we've joked about the the thing about foot washing and all that sort of stuff, but that is the attitude first. You are primary a servant of these people. You are here to serve them. You are a servant first. And that is how they must perceive you. I know sometimes in, in all sorts of different ways and this sort of stuff, there's this thing where the pastor is the elevated person. That is not a biblical pastor. Jesus came as a servant. We read that in for serve first. Pray first. Worship first. First to get into the word. First to use spiritual gifts. First in faith. That's where, uh, that's where you set an example. I, I've, I've said to Rupert once, I've said, right, Rupert, um, you can have the church when you, uh, when you serve better than me, pray better than me, worship better than me, get into the word better than me, have more spiritual gifts, I'll give it you. And there is a sense, and that sounds arrogant, and that's, that's where you should be. You set an example in every way. They should be able to come and have a look at your marriage and come and have a look at home. Turn up at any moment. How do they? Those are the things. You should be the best lover of your wives. You should outdo the rest of these guys. should outdo it in all sorts of ways that we can't go into it because I don't want to embarrass the ladies. But well, no, no, let's embarrass them later. But, but we can do that. Be first. Be a first example. So it doesn't mean I want you to be the first to pray in worship. But I do want to hear you pray. And I do, and I do want to hear you prophesy. And I do want to hear you speak in tongues. And when it's faith, I want you to give the most. Not the least. Because you can't lead these guys unless you're going to be the first and do it. But you will, you're going to need to be ever so discerning. And I have to say that I've, this is the one that I've struggled with the most because I, the, the, the environment that we now live in, the church environment we live in, there is just so much out there. There are so many agencies and so many different things and, and all sorts of different things. And sometimes I feel sinful and wrong that, that I'm not concentrating on some. And I get all sorts of invitations. Could you do this? Could you be involved in this? Could you do that? And there are loads of all these things. I could do loads of things. I could stand on my head for you if you like. I can, uh, and you're looking at me thinking, I don't think he can do that. Yes, I can. I'm going to have to tuck my shirt in to do it, but I can do that. There are loads of things that I can. <coughs> if you'd like me to do that, I'll do that for you over coffee just to prove it that I can do it. Yes, and I, and I can still walk on my hands. I don't know if I could get the length of there, but I could certainly get the width of there. But there you go. So yes, sometimes... Pardon? I, well, I, my days are numbered. <laughs> What, what I want to just say to you is, is that we have to both be discerning in regard to the flock and, re and in regard to ourselves. The context was to do with the suffering church under trial and this sort of stuff. And what can happen is that all these things can cause us to react. What do I react to here? And sometimes the, there are just so many. And I've never said, I don't know if you ever looked at what the Evangelical Alliance get involved with. There. I mean, we could just be everywhere and anytime. We could be reactionary to all sorts of different things. And on your desk, 
will begin to appear all sorts of different things that you should do. You should do this. And people will tell you in your, Phil, you should do this. Steve, and you, by the way, should do this. And you have to be incredibly discerning. Because if you did everything that, that the Christian world asks you to do, and the, the, the flock asks you to do, you would have no time to do what we've just talked about. You just wouldn't. You would be in a headspin in regard to these things. You need to be discerning. Don't distracted from the, get distracted from the things that God has called you to do. He's called you to shepherd the flock. I want to read you something from Nehemiah chapter 6 and verses 1 to 3. We're nearly to the end, folks. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Now, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, just in case we didn't know, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set its doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakeparim, or somewhere like that, on the plain of Ono. That's not Omo, but Ono. But they intended uh, to do me harm. Now, I don't think that's always the case. And I sent messages saying to them, I am doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And I want you to hear this. There is always going to be dozens and dozens of things that will call to your attention, that appear to be legitimate. And there will be people that will say, why don't you come and do this? And I have to say, that, and Kelly can verify this, that I have that sort of request almost on a monthly basis. Could you come and do this? Could you come and be involved in this? And I have to say to people, and, and I have to say that I have offended some, I have to say to this, I don't feel yet that the walls are built here. I don't feel that I should come down off the walls. I've come here to do this. And they, what they then say to me is, yeah, but you do that by doing this. And I'll say to them, well, I can't do that because when I'm doing that, I'm not doing this. I, and that will be what will happen. And people will get really knocked. And you'll find a bit later that Sanballat and Tobiah and Geet, they got really knocked. And people will get really knocked in you. But the, the answer is this. I will not come down, I will build the walls, and not only will I build the walls, is that I'm not coming down, so I've got the gates in either. And this, is what you, and this is what you were called to do. There will be many worthy things that you can do, but none more worthy than shepherding the flock. None more worthy. This is the greatest thing to, to you to do. So what will sustain you? This is our final point. What sustains is the, the eager love of the shepherd elders. What does that mean? Uh, what can sustain it? If you look down, it says, exercise oversight with eagerness. See that phrase? Um, shepherd the flock with eagerness. That must mean that you want to do it. Do that. I delight to do it. Have real love, eagerness. But that should be said. You're going to do this with, with delight. But also, if you look in verse 4, it says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Wow. Now, you probably know that I'm in touch with numerous pastors that have passed my nose at New Frontiers and uh, pastors that are leading churches um, uh, in our region. I know one or two uh, elders and a bit more of leadership teams that, that are around I don't know any of them that would actually say to you that their job is easy I don't think that I don't think I've ever said that it's interesting you've been on Thursday sometimes when we sort of had a ministry time I don't know whether I can't remember which one of you came to Stafford but I was just outstanding the, Steve the other day and we went to Stafford and we asked uh, them to stand if any of their family was away from the Lord and they all stood. Doesn't that? And I just thought, that's another one of these ministry times you got yourself into, Nigel. And, but they all stood. They were all standing with personal difficulties. Uh, we've, 
we've done the, I don't do the thing about sleep that I did here because that would just cause me problems. But you just think, and so I, I know that they don't think that the job is easy. Is it for the love of money? I don't think so. Or the love of power? I, I, I know them well enough to say no. But what motivates them? I don't know particularly that it's this, but I want to encourage it to be you. I want to say that what should encourage them is what is here, that the ch when the chief shepherd appears, that actually that you are doing this because you believe that the church, the, the, the chief shepherd will appear and you will receive an unfading crown of glory. In fact, what does this mean? That you're not doing it for what you will get on this earth but you're doing it for the motivation that Jesus will return. That is an important thing in today's society, that we are preaching the return of Jesus and that we are living with a sense of the return of Jesus. That's how we best lead, that, that you know, my Jesus returns. So when Steve got, uh, when Phil got up here and he did the forever thing and, you know, and that sort of stuff, and was that, was that you that, yeah, a bit... And all that sort of stuff. And that was a prayer at the back, wasn't it? When you, it was your first contribution. That, that one. The second one was a little jig up the front here. But, the, but that, this stuff. But the, when he prayed the sort of forever thing, what, what he was sort of doing in his... I don't know if you noticed this. He was saying, he was saying you know, we belong to this eternal God, but you know, this is the God that will return. And, and it, was, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful moment of actually eldership. Eldership people are people that will lead with an anticipation of Jesus' return. That's what we're doing. So when the chief shepherd comes, uh, we will receive an everlasting a reward. I don't know what that means, uh, but you'll have to wait and see, and that sort of stuff. So Phil, Steve, position, power, recognition, it is not. What will sustain you, what has to be enough for you, is that the chief shepherd will return. That's what sustains you. That will be, that's your whole motivation for doing this. Isn't that, you, that somebody will go, that was a great sermon. Let me just say this to you, that when you've preached sort of now as much as I have, you very rarely get, a, that was a great sermon. You know, that you, don't, you don't get that very much these days. You just, you know, people just take you for granted. What will happen now is they'll all go over and say, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't, because I was just talking to these. You're just sitting in on this. So it wasn't. A, um, but that would be, that would be something that, that the, what should sustain you is not the position, but that Jesus is returning. That's the thing. Can I just say a personal note? Um, I want... Uh, I, uh, God is building something wonderful here at, at Gateway Church. And I want to say this to you as people that have come into it. I believe you're very privileged to be a part of it. And what you're privileged with is that God has entrusted you to be a servant in building his church. And so keep the privilege of it in a sense of this is just magnificent that God has chosen me. I, I must admit some years ago that I would never ever have thought to be anywhere else on the face of this earth. Now you know when I say this, and I, I'm just going back to my old joke, that actually Sunday by Sunday, this is the place that I would most want to be. I know that, you know, that at CCK they now have flashing lights, and they, and, and they have big things and big screens and smoke machines and all that sort of stuff, and a thousand something. I want to say this. I would rather be here than there because of the love that I have for these people. I wouldn't want... You are privileged to be here. When that first note goes off, I think of our first day when we didn't have any musicians and had to just contract them in and pay for them. And I look at this and I just think, what has God done? And, you know, some of the stuff that's around, I just look at this. And I, I want I to just say... Treat this as a magnificent privilege. It is a privilege. I am highly privileged to be the pastor of Gateway Church, Rickson. And I don't want to be anywhere else at this point. That will now provoke God to do something. <laughs> so I just want to do two things in conclusion to this. So 
Um, if the band can come back up. Uh, I want to do two things. Firstly, is that I want to plug the 19th of May. Uh, the 19th of May on a Thursday evening. I know for some of you got children. Can you try and arrange uh, babysitters? Can you try and be here? Um, I believe there will be a sense of God speaking to these guys prophetically. Uh, I want us to. I want us to uh, give. I want us to support them. So I don't want to look at it thinking, well, this is a midweek meeting. It's a Thursday, and and I've got badminton on that night. I would. I want to ask you. I want to ask you. Please come and support these guys. Not only support them. Would you come with a word that you feel God has got for them, a scripture, a prophetic word? Would you come? Would you write it down? Would you be equipped to give something to these guys? So I want to ask you to do that. The other thing that I'd like to ask you to do is that we've just got a few minutes. Is that I would like to ask you uh, to pray for Phil and Steve because they need to be prayed for. We need to, and they just need our prayers. It's just really interesting that I, um, and somebody can, I, I don't know if Kelly laughs at this, because sometimes people will ring me up and they'll say things like, Pastor, would you, would you just mind praying for me? And Kelly will say, at this time, and so, and, and they'll hear me down the phone, I'll go, oh Lord, you know. and Kelly will say, they have not asked you what is going on. And sometimes this is really true about the situation that I've been going through personally in the home when I've been praying for them has been worse than what I'm praying for. That has been the thing. And it's quite funny because, and these guys will say that, you never ask anybody to sort of pray for you. But I'm just hoping with anticipation that you do, that sometime in your week that you pray uh, for, for me, that will be really kind of you. Because I, I need your prayers. I cannot do this without those prayers. So I want to, first of all, for me, are you praying for me? <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> right. The other thing is that I'd like us to pray for Steve. So what I'm going to do, just in the, the band are just going to play. So that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to send uh, Steve, if you'd like to come here. Just do, Steve. You're still not obedient. Just on that spot there. Uh, and Phil, if you'd like to go down that way here. Okay. Now then, you, you will not get coffee served at this point. So if you leave the building, I have already spoken and you will get nothing. This is the judgment of God upon you. If you eat the cake earlier than it would be, the Lord will affect it and at three o'clock in the morning you will receive your judgment. So, but what I want you to do is I'd like you to be active just for a little while. I want to ask you, would you go and pray for these guys? Would you go and stand with them? So what you'll need to do is you need to go and pray with Phil, come back here, pray with Steve and that sort of stuff and do that just for the next sort of 10 minutes or so and then we'll have cake and, and coffee. So can I also ask you to engage in that? This is not time to just say, did you put your suntan cream ready? Are you doing factor 15 this afternoon or 12? Or what are you doing tomorrow? Are you going to Church Castle or not? I would like to ask you, would you actively, please, from me, pray for these guys? They need your prayer. Can you do that? <laughs>